My warning is that today's episode includes very brief mention of fertility struggle, as well as a brief mention of child abuse and domestic violence. Thank you for listening. I'm Haley. And I'm Andy. And this is Dead Endings. So today's case is very weird. All right. (laughs) It's very easy to find all sorts of random information regarding the crime and the trials, but it's very difficult to find information regarding the victim at the center of this. Man, and we want to know the victims. We want to know who they were before all of this happened because they have every right to be heard and be known just being known that they were murdered. Girly Chu was was girly. Mm -hmm. That's so cute. (laughs) Girly Chu was born on August 27th in 1963. She was born in Malaysia, which is in Southeast Asia, if anyone's not sure. I wasn't sure. I wasn't going to call you out. (laughs) (laughs) The country became Malaysia the year that Girly was born. It prior to that had been Malaya. She was her parents' first child, and she would eventually be followed by a brother and a sister. After school, Gurley was working as a marketing representative at a bank in Malaysia, like after she graduated. She and a co-worker who she was friends with decided that they wanted to take a trip to the United States in the late 80s. The girls had a blast, and they decided to make it an annual thing together. Also, they have a vacation every year here in the U.S. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. Every girl needs that with her friends. Yes. It was either in 1991 or 1992 that they took a trip together to the U.S. and they were visiting SeaWorld in California. While walking around the park, Gurley met a man who was short and soft-spoken with like a feminine voice. But they hit it off and they kept in touch and they became pen pals and they wrote a bunch of letters back and forth. Okay. He had a unique name. What's his name? It was Dyson Hossenkoff. The two got to know each other through letters over the course of the next year, and Gurley was swept off her feet by this man. She learned all sorts of things about him through their correspondence. He was born in Zurich, Switzerland. He had gone to schools all over the world. He was a thoracic surgeon, meaning he operated mainly on people's, like, hearts and chests. Oh, so he's smart. He'd gotten degrees from the University of Tokyo, as well as Cornell Medical College. At the age of 29, Gurley made the huge decision to leave her family and life in Malaysia and move to the United States to be with Dyson. She was excited about this. She loved America. She loved Dyson. It was this big new adventure in this new chapter in her life. Cute little love story. He bought her a $7,500 ring. Yeah, because this dude obviously has money working on hearts and shit. And the couple was married in 1993 before settling into a home in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Gurley began working as a bank teller, and she seemed to enjoy it. She took her responsibilities very seriously. She was always on time. She did amazing with customers. She just had an amazing work ethic. Like, literally, it's stated over and over and over again in sources of just how great of a worker she was. 
which is weird. But apparently she did so well that she won awards at work as well as trips, like vacations. I mean, yeah, I've heard some businesses give you incentive trips, so that's really cool. Especially, like, banks and stuff. Her husband, Dyson, dressed well and was successful. They both drove nice cars. She had a BMW and he drove a Jaguar. Um, I don't know if Gurley knew this before marrying him or if it developed afterwards, but Dyson had leukemia. He was working on developing a cancer treatment. He okay. traveled often for work, still working as a surgeon, while also treating patients on a one-on-one basis and researching and whatnot. Over time, though, Gurley grew disappointed with how much time she was spending alone. Aww. Dyson would often work late and be gone for days at a time for work. The couple decided to try to have a baby, but after trying for a while, they found out that Gurley was unable to conceive. They had briefly discussed adoption, but Gurley didn't want to go that route, mainly because it was like, realizing they couldn't have their own, I think, gave her a minute to think about the whole situation, and she didn't know how long Dyson would live for because of the leukemia, and adoption can be this lengthy process that most likely at the end she'd be left as a single mother. Right, and it's hard to adopt when you're a single mother, too, and it's hard to take care of a child as a single mother, and being widowed because you're also dealing with the grief of your spouse yeah so they decided to get a dog um but one evening the dog collapsed into convulsions and died and girly girly was horrified but the couple got another dog and that dog vanished So in 1996, Dyson returned from one of his trips, work trips. Um, he returned home with a baby. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> Your face was like, what? <laughs> How did you just start off with a baby? You have leukemia. <laughs> this is not a <laughs> You're right. This is bizarre. <laughs> it's this is nothing. <laughs> So, it was a little baby boy who he said he'd adopted. He he, he told Gurley that they were now his parents and his name was Dimitri. Dimitri. That's a good name. Gurley was shocked. As I was. And possibly, in part, due to the shock, she just agreed to the situation. <laughs> what can you do when he's got, like, a baby in his arm? He's just like, I've been breathing heavy because... I have leukemia, and I can barely hold this child. <laughs> Please take it. So she agreed to the adoption of Dimitri, even though she'd been against it. She agreed that they'd raise Dimitri, and she'd care for him like a mother. I wonder, too, if maybe she hoped that having Dimitri would help Dyson kind of, like, refocus on their life. Okay. And, like, sense. keep him home more. Yeah. But she started getting calls at the house from a woman claiming to be Dyson's fiance. She found letters and cards from other women that were romantic and were expressing love. Gurley confronted Dyson about her belief and evidence that he was cheating on her. He was enraged. All charm and pretense of love was dropped and he assaulted her. Oh, screw He off. was pissed that he'd been caught and it seems that this continued back and forth for a while where Gurley would catch him in an affair and she would either confront him or contact the woman to let the woman know that Dyson was lying and then Dyson would retaliate by taking out his anger on Gurley. That's messed up. One incident that happened started when, in 1996, Dyson had gone to get his hair cut, and the woman who did his hair was named Mary. 
And for some reason, she found him charming. I don't know what these women see in him. It's it's like being from Switzerland. Like, that instantly piqued my interest, sadly. <laughs> but he's just, he's not cute. He's a weird little man. I think that him being a doctor and, you know, him being from Zurich, like, all these things, I think, were what made him interesting, interesting. to these women. Yeah. But Mary had kids. She had an athletic 14-year-old daughter who needed physicals to participate in sports. And one benefit of dating Dyson was that she didn't have to bring her daughter into the doctor's office for physicals. Dyson could just do them. Is it just like, yep, she's fit to go. So the physical consisted of the 14-year-old girl stripping down to nothing. Dyson looking at her body and being like, yeah, she can play sports. Okay. What? That's weird. So, Mary and Dyson continued to date, but Mary started to see red flags. Yeah. Like, Dyson was always injecting himself with needles. <laughs> it's his cancer treatment. <laughs> he told her that it was morphine to deal with the pain from his cancer, but she's still like, that's... That's sketchy because a doctor, because you can get, like, never... You, you don't... Yeah, you can get that whenever you want. And I'm not sure which of these next things were the final thing for her. But at one point, her 10 and 12-year-old sons told her that while she was at work one day, Dyson had drawn samples of their blood because he wanted to test to see if they could be a bone marrow match for him. That's so messed up. <laughs> yeah. That's like... He also told Mary that he could get rid of her by dissolving her body in acid. No, this is not what you tell a woman you're dating. And then Gurley came to her telling her that she was his wife and to please not tell Dyson who told Mary that he was married because Gurley was afraid that Dyson would kill her. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure which of those was where she's like, I think we're done here. I think I'd be done with my sons just having like Yeah. (laughs) Dyson was able to figure out who'd given him away to marry. Oh yeah. Was it his wife? Yeah. (laughs) Gurley started talking to her co-workers and sharing little tidbits about her marriage. She told a friend that Dyson had an office in the house that he kept locked and she wasn't allowed to go in it. Full of children's blood. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Her friend was like, one, that's really weird. Yep. And two, you've got to go into that office. <laughs> that's like a conversation between you and me, though. Yeah. <laughs> the real. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, that's scary. There's Let's a case that we're going to talk about soon where it's about two women. And I'm like, it's me and it's me and Andy. <laughs> that's awesome. What her friend said stuck with her. And when an opportunity came up that she knew that Dyson would be gone for a while, she snuck into his office. She found some more evidence of affairs in the office, like love letters, but those were the least disturbing things she found. Oh, no. She found that he had four social security numbers. Is he from Switzerland? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's your detail. That's just what I got to (laughs) know. So there were documents from a case where he had been treating a patient. The patient had been an older woman from Santa Fe who had breast cancer. She decided to forego traditional treatment and let Dyson treat her with his own self-created cancer cure. She was paying him $25,000 a month. Oh my gosh. He told the woman that he was a geneticist. He told her stories of his daughter who he said had died in a car crash and that he had plans to recreate her from some of her hair that he still had and that he would grow his daughter in a lab. Dr. Frankenstein crap. This woman bought him a two-story home that he would need once his daughter was recreated so he'd have somewhere to raise her. 
after <laughs> yeah your face this is this is whack these are so many he's got a great imagination after a year or two of this, the woman's son realized that something was wrong. Yeah, $25,000 taken every month. Something's definitely wrong. Also, how do you make that much money? Like, what were they doing? Just old rich people. Just good, lucky for them. I, oh man. What, did she, I'm just wondering about like her, did, was her cancer treatment at least like regressed? We'll go into this. Okay, okay. I'm excited about that too. <laughs> So her son stepped in as her power of attorney and convinced her to go to a real oncologist. Okay. Her cancer had progressed enough that she was told she only had six to 18 months left to live. The son hired a private investigator to look into Dyson Hassenkoff. Uh-huh. The results of this investigation were in Dyson's office as well. Okay. Dyson had been giving this woman shots of vitamin water that he claimed were cancer treatments. The PI discovered that Hassenkopf had faked his degrees and transcripts. He was not a doctor of any kind. No! He was not Swiss. No! <laughs> In fact, he wasn't even Dyson Hassenkopf. He was Armand Chavez from Texas. Texas. <laughs> and he had changed his name in, 1920, in 1992-1922. <laughs> He had been trying to sell people treatments for leukemia, saying it had cured him and would cure them too. So did he even have leukemia? He said he invented a machine that could map out the entire human genome. His resume bragged that he had written over 48 scientific research papers and that he had worked as a cryogenic lab research chemist at Stanford. The resume was full of typos. Oh no. (laughs) I just, the audacity of this man from Texas. You're not even from Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. So obviously none of these things were true. Poor and at, at this point, Gurley was like, oh my God, what the actual fuck? Like, who is this person? Who is the, who's Dimitri? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think she confronted him right away. Right. I mean, she, how could she? She'd reached a point where she was just emotionally done. Yeah. But she was also alone here from another country They had this child they were raising, and he was abusive. Yeah. I personally think that she was just taking her time trying to figure out how she was going to maneuver her way out of this. Safely. At some point, though, it became clear between the two of them that Gurley knew all of Dyson's secrets. (laughs) And I think Dyson was upset because Gurley just didn't give a fuck about him. Like, I think how calm she was about it, like, panicked him. Probably. Yeah. His emotional control was gone. Yep. And I think he was worried. I think he was worried that she might try to expose him. But I think that his personality was that he wants to control other people. Okay. Yeah. So one evening in January of 1999, they were sitting and watching TV together in the evening. And Dyson told Gurley that he wanted her to pick him up a menu from a restaurant the next day at lunchtime. And he wanted her to take the highway to do it. And she was like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay. Then Dyson was like, I'm going to go get a snack or some water or something in the kitchen. Um, I'll be back. But he was gone for a weird amount of time. So she got up to see what he was doing. And he was in the garage loosening the lug nuts on her vehicle. (laughs) It's just like, I'm going to do a a 10-minute task, but actually a 30-minute task in the garage. Yeah. That was so obvious. And she was like, you're trying to kill me. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't like that. 
so they just kept unleashing the boys. So they began fighting. He threw his arm around her neck and started punching her in the face. Oh my god. He dragged her into their bedroom by their hair. An elderly neighbor ended up intervening in all the chaos. The 75-year-old neighbor was able to get between the two of them and told Gurley to run and call the police. Yeah. She did, and written at the top of her medical examination from that night for the cause of her injuries, it said, husband tried to kill her. Okay, good. She had a lot of bruises and abrasions. One eye was swollen shut. Her lip was busted open. She had a gash down her leg and bruising around her neck. Oh, my God. And one thing, too, with abuse in relationships is a huge indicator of it escalating is if they've strangled like if they've put anything like around your neck that is one of the biggest signs of ooh, this is not gonna go well so girly was done Uh, yeah good for her dyson was arrested good he posted bond within seven hours and for some reason, the charges were dismissed by the courts. I don't know if Gurley requested. I don't, I don't know why they were dismissed, but they were dismissed. All right. That's messed up, but not uncommon. Yeah. Like, sadly. Yep. So Gurley was able to get a temporary restraining order, which doesn't do anything. No. But she got an apartment of her own. She was temporarily relocated to a different branch of her bank as like her work's effort to help her and kind of hide her that's really sweet of her job too because she not many, yeah not many companies would do that honestly i mean i can't really imagine any places that i worked would do that that's her livelihood that's how she's gonna survive I she can't it. lose it the fact that they were willing to step in and help her is she must have been amazing. so reliable as an employee oh she was oh yeah she kept the new address a secret from most people in her life she didn't want Dyson to know where she lived. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I was thinking about Dimitri. He was like in custody of the dude. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh. So Gurley told her workmates that Dyson wasn't a doctor, that his real name wasn't Dyson, that he was abusive, and that she was worried he would kill her. She did the whole haunting, like, if anything happens to me, look at him. Yeah. He had been making comments to people that he wanted to kill and dissect Gurley. So he was being very forthcoming with his feelings. Dyson wasn't great at following the restraining order. He was regularly stalking her. She wanted to continue having custody of Dimitri, but I think Dyson was using that to his advantage. To try and figure out where her locations were. And, and stuff. just, it's, it's a way to control. Yeah. In March of 1999, Gurley agreed to give up her custody of Dimitri, and she also agreed to pay $100 a month in child support to Dyson, oh. even though she only made like 19000 a year. To, to take care of Dimitri. Uh, that's admirable, though. Like, she didn't want... She wanted to help Dimitri in a way that she could do it safely, so... Yeah. That's very admirable. And then it's... I've seen things that say later on she was trying to get custody back at the end of the summer, but I'm not sure... I'm not sure what the details of that are. Yeah. It didn't make a difference, though, because Dyson kept stalking and tormenting her. She began taking self-defense and karate classes, and she specifically told her teacher that she wanted to learn how to defend herself from two attackers at once. Okay. According to her mother, Gurley was a deep believer in Kuan Yin, the goddess of mercy in Buddhism. She often prayed to Kuan Yin for protection from Dyson. A court date was set for July of 1999 for charges against Dyson related to breaking the restraining order on at least three counts. 
Around this time, Dyson met with an adoption agent named Vonda to discuss putting Dimitri up for adoption. The agent he worked with requested documentation, and Dyson provided her with a New Mexico birth certificate for Dimitri, but he was unable to provide any proof of Gurley having been pregnant, so he admitted to the agent that Dimitri was not Gurley's biological son, but that Dyson was Dimitri's biological father. Dyson told her that Dimitri's mother was an Asian woman who donated her egg and that Dyson grew Dimitri in his lab. Whatever. You freaking liar. So actually, Dimitri's mother was a Japanese woman who worked as a jewelry store clerk in Canada. Dyson had met her on one of his many so-called business trips and the two became romantic pen pals. She eventually traveled to visit Dyson in New Mexico and he brought her to his home and she said that there was no sign of him having had a wife. It's unclear how Dyson got a hold of Dimitri. Like, I don't know if she willingly handed him over to Dyson, if he just took him, if he, like, threatened her. He somehow ended up having Dimitri and taking him, and she was still in Canada. I don't know the details that somehow he got Dimitri. He must have scared her or something. I don't know. I think that Dyson had been using Dimitri to keep that hold on Gurley. Yep. And when she signed over the rights and kind of pulled away, then he was stuck with this kid that he had to figure out how to take care of. And he was not here for that. Yeah. That's not what he was looking for. This so dude is insane. It gets worse. It gets crazier. Oh, great. As part of the adoption, Dyson himself had to undergo a medical evaluation. The results of that were that he was not suffering from leukemia, which he had claimed to the agent. He's a fucking liar. And he had no other illnesses either. Oh so mad. Dimitri was handed off to his new family in August of 1999. That sucks because I wonder if like I mean there's probably two loving mothers out there the biological mother and Gurley mm-hmm. really wanted him and they couldn't do that. And at the end I'll do a follow-up on Dimitri today for what Yay! I know. Okay. On September 9th 1999 Gurley went to work Afterwards, she mailed a letter home to her parents and then went back to her apartment and changed out of her work clothes. At 7.03 that evening, she made a call to the phone company because she hadn't received her bill yet and was wondering why. And they have that on record that she made this call at 7.03 to the phone company. Somebody talked with her. Okay. A few minutes after that, one of her friends called her and Gurley didn't answer. Mm-hmm. The friend called a few more times that night, but Gurley never answered the phone. The next morning on September 10th, Gurley was late to work. Oh, no. This doesn't happen. Yeah. Her fellow employees were immediately worried. They called the police within, like, 15 minutes. Good for them. And the police were like, give her a minute. She's probably running late. No. And they kept calling and kept calling. So then the police were like, okay, fine. We'll go out and check on her. But one of the people who she worked with knew the address because he had helped her move in. And they went out and they got there before police and they were able to convince the um, landlord to give them a key to get in to check. And when they went in, the deadbolt wasn't locked. It was just the doorknob. She wouldn't have done that if she was was scared. And they said that she never would have just not locked the deadbolt too. They they had also told the police that Gurley was afraid that her husband had been making threats. And I think then the police were like, okay, we will... We will go do a welfare check. They're like, oh yeah, that police report where he tried to kill her? Her friends didn't really notice anything weird in the apartment, except for they did notice she had an orange carpet and there were three big, like, wet spots it looked like. They weren't concerned, I guess. The police, however, immediately noticed the smell of bleach. 
in the apartment. Oh. They did a luminol test, and there was evidence of blood splatter all over the apartment living room. Oh, great. They went to Dyson's house to check on him because yep. he was immediately kind of their first, like, okay, you've been threatening her, you guys are going through divorce. The door was unlocked, and when police entered, the house was empty. They talked to neighbors who told them that a moving truck had been there in the days before and that Dyson said he was moving to Texas to be closer to the Mexican border because he was getting cancer treatments in Mexico. He doesn't have cancer. <laughs> yeah, Dyson was gone. Oh my gosh. Now we're going to backtrack just a little here. Okay. And we're going to talk about Dyson. Stupid Dyson. Armand Chavez was born on March 5th, 1965 in Houston, Texas. His parents divorced when he was young, and he and his siblings were taken from their mother's care. And his father got remarried, but Armand did not like his stepmother. He moved and left home at 16 years old. Right. He did, in fact, graduate from Notre Dame in California. Notre Dame. Okay, Sorry. <laughs> I, went, I went France there. <laughs> Notre Dame in California with a bachelor's degree in science and chemistry. Okay, so he's, he's, he, learned, he knows some things. He got his bachelor's degree. The next year, he married a woman named Rosemary, Aww. and they had a child together. Aww. Armand was applying to medical school, but kept getting rejected. And Rosemary started seeing Armand drawing his own blood, and he'd make comments to her that if he ever killed anybody, no one would find their body because he would dissolve it in chemicals. This is a, a common theme. She oh said gosh. later that he had three huge triggers. Uh, whenever anybody brought up that he was not able to get into med school, he would get mad. If he felt he wasn't getting respect from people, he would get mad. And if someone thought he wasn't intelligent, he would be, it would just pissed him off. I would piss this guy off so much on purpose. So she ended up leaving him because he was cheating on her. Yeah. He was eventually accepted into med school and he told the other students there that his wife and child had died in a car crash just a pathological liar. He abruptly dropped out because they were catching on to the fact that he had falsified all sorts of information to even get accepted into the school. Yep. He was hired in 1988 by a woman who needed a chef and someone to balance her checkbooks. And a few months into this job, she had to be hospitalized and when doctors looked into like what was going on with her, they I discovered <laughs> arsenic. No! Uh... She had been poisoned with arsenic. Yep. She said that the last meal her chef had made her, he'd been very adamant about her eating all of it, and it tasted weird. And for some reason, the police were like, huh, that is weird, but maybe she was just poisoning herself. Yes, this woman and they... was poisoning herself. That makes so much sense. Good job. On a roll. Yeah, they didn't look into it any further. That's messed up. They're just like, yeah, obviously you bought this bottle of arsenic and started pouring it in your food. Jeez. She just wanted the attention. Oh my god. Um, afterwards, he started calling himself Dyson Hossenkoft, which he just pulled that name out of nowhere. It sounds like it's <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> and I should have known. <laughs> you're like, oh, Dyson, okay, he's from Switzerland. <laughs> Maybe he just saw the vacuum Dyson. <laughs> I'm going to change it up slightly. <laughs> uh, so he started calling himself Dyson and introducing himself as a doctor of varying specialties. And this is when he met Gurley. He legally changed his name to Dyson before Gurley moved from Malaysia. So she had no idea that his name before had been Armand. From Texas. From Texas. 
So after Gurley left him, Dyson answered an ad posted by an older single woman looking for a lover. Her name was Julie, and she lived about 25 minutes outside of Albuquerque, and she owned a lodge, and she was suffering from breast cancer. So much cancer. I know. Dyson told her that he was a geneticist and that he had cured himself of cancer, and that because he had injected the cure into himself, he could save her by injecting his blood into her. No! Oh, that's messed up. So that's gross. He also had created an anti-aging serum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. He told her that he was of Japanese and German heritage. I'm sorry. That he had level 22 clearance with the government. He said that he could manipulate human cells to reverse aging. That's how he created the anti-aging serum. The anti-aging serum was just arsenic. <laughs> and at this I point... <laughs> that will stop aging. Yes, it at this point, he still had Dimitri, and he told Julie that Dimitri was one of 12 boys that he had genetically engineered for the National Security Agency, the NSA. You were not that smart. Um, and that Dyson told her that there were good aliens and bad aliens, and that the good aliens had implanted a chip into the bridge of her nose. He also gave her a reduced rate for the aging serum. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is like, insane. He gave her a deal. <laughs> very expensive but because i like you because of the aliens putting that in your nose that good chip <laughs> he told her that the 12 children were growing too powerful oh no and that the nsa wanted to destroy them and kill him as well he would leave dimitri with julie saying that his location needed to be kept a secret and this woman was apparently like yes this is all totally plausible oh my like, gosh okay she at one point came to his home and he was punching numbers into his garage door remote saying that he had to scramble some transmissions or like <laughs> interfere with people spying on him. He's really just pressing I don't even buttons. yeah, it was just a garage door remote <laughs> with like That's a code. Awesome. That's <laughs> She's just standing there. She's like, "Yeah, you scrambled up places. <laughs> I'm here for you." Oh, this is rough. He would be a great screenplay writer. Yeah. At this point, she did start suspecting him a little. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but she was really concerned for Dimitri, so at least giving her that. <laughs> she wanted to stay with You should have been concerned from the get-go. Yo. As soon as he was giving you that deal on the anti-aging stuff, like, you should know if somebody's creating anti-aging stuff, they're not going to give you deals on that shit. Nope. So at one point, she discovered the bathroom covered in blood. And Dyson said he had been drawing his own blood because the 12 children needed it to survive. This dude. So she decided to dip by May. Yes. Um, but in June, he called saying that he was really sick with the leukemia he didn't have. And... <laughs> I thought he cured himself. Yes. He could cure her. Yeah. She agreed to look after Dimitri for him because he was so weak. When Dyson dropped off Dimitri to Julie, the three-year-old had bruises on his temples, and he told her that his daddy had punched him. Oh. There were some very legitimate physical signs of sexual abuse, oh. which I'm not going to go into. Oh, thank you. And Dimitri was complaining that his toes hurt. When Julie looked, she found track marks between his toes. Oh. And she was worried that Dyson had been injecting Dimitri with some sort of sleeping medication because at times Dimitri was very lethargic when he would drop him off. So he was just drugging his kids so he didn't have to deal with them. Yeah. Wow. 
when she confronted Dyson about the needle marks, Dyson was like, yeah, it's really weird, but Dimitri has been taking pins and pushing them between his toes. No. Because Dyson lies about everything. Yeah, that doesn't even make sense. As soon as a pin needle really stick into a three-year-old, I don't think the three-year-old would like that, that no. sensation. No. Like, who likes that sensation? First of all, Dyson, that's not where those needle marks fucking came from. Yeah. Just, that's not. Nope. And second, I have small children. Yeah. If I even am, like, getting my sewing kit out to, like, stitch something, they are so paranoid about the needles they are terrified. Like, they won't touch fabric. They'll be like, is there a needle in the fabric? Which is how I grew up being like, are there needles in this? Like, they don't want to be poked by needle. No three-year-old is going to willingly, repeatedly jam a needle into his skin. I feel bad for all of the pain that Dimitri went through. <sighs> so Julie called Child Protective Services. Good for Julie. They told her that because the boy is from Albuquerque and not where she's from, that there's nothing they could do. They couldn't even, like, refer her to a phone number that could help. Yeah, that doesn't sound real to me. I don't know if... I don't know if she was lying. I don't know, because sometimes... I mean, she believed it up to a point, so she's kind of like, I'm sorry, but she's probably got to be a little crazy too, right? Yeah, sometimes Child Protective Services drops the ball. There's so many kids in danger. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. So Julie asked a police officer friend to look into Dyson's background, and that's when she learned that he was for sure a fucking liar. I don't know how she couldn't figure that out on her own, but hey, she figured it out eventually. Yes. Dimitri eventually ended up with his new family, living in Panama, being raised by a woman who says that he was always very emotionally distant. I have... I have an opinion of his adopted mom that I think that if I just tell you what I know, I don't have to state my opinion out loud. So his name was changed. He didn't have any memory of Gurley. He said he only had one memory of Dyson feeding him in his high chair and then walking away and leaving him there. When he turned 18, he moved out of his adopted home and hasn't had any real contact with his adopted family since. His mom wrote a book. His adopted mom wrote a book about what it was like raising him and messages him repeatedly wishing him happy birthday every year, even though he doesn't respond. She sent him the book that she wrote about his childhood That's like... and asked him what he thought. And he told her that it was, quote, syrupy. <laughs> she continues to message him. She told a reporter that the last time she saw his Facebook page, she was in a relationship and he had a career and he looked happy, but he had since blocked her on Facebook. Probably because he was tired of her capitalizing on him. And I just, hey, you know, it doesn't seem like you have a lot of respect or understanding about boundaries with him as an adult. Yeah. So I I don't know how well you did with boundaries with a kid who had been traumatized. Yep. She would say that when she, like, hugged him that he was, like, stiff as a board. And it's like, maybe he didn't want the hugs. So, yeah, I don't... I see. I see. <laughs> I got opinions about this woman. Uh-huh. Now it's during the summer of 1999 where Dyson meets someone who helps set into motion all of the events that lead to Gurley's disappearance. Okay. Dyson attends a conference speaker thing given by David Icke, who is a former soccer player turned conspiracy theorist. <laughs> David believes... <laughs> Sorry, this is... <laughs> 
that's a huge difference. You're just like that soccer ball's too round, and now I don't believe that the world is round anymore. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so David believes that reptile people are manipulating our society, and that the end of the world is coming. Reptile people—they control the government, don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> he believes that the moon is a spaceship for the reptile people, and they use it as a portal and as a means to control us. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't believe in climate change, which. Why would he? Like, yeah. you believe that the moon is a portal, so... <laughs> that one's not too crazy. But the reptile people use human anxiety as energy, which means that they are probably at the all-time <laughs> high right now know, as far yeah. as power goes. Agreed. And he doesn't believe in the scientific method, which, uh, like, as in, like, oh, I have a question, I'm going to research it, I'm going to form a hypothesis, I'm going to test it. I'm going to analyze and come to a conclusion. He just goes straight to the conclusion. He doesn't believe in the science. Like, you just don't believe in the process of questioning things, but you're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, exactly. It's just a weird thing to, like... very illogical. He's also anti-Semitic. Oh. So he's just... Screw off. On top of being crazy, he's a shithead. Yeah. Um, But this is who Dyson was going to hear speak. And while there, he met a woman named... Linda Henning. Linda. So I'm going to tell you right now that all of Linda's friends and family talk about how normal and lovely Linda was before meeting Dyson, and then she just totally changed. I feel like she wasn't normal if she was at that convention. Thank you. (laughs) I don't buy that. I don't fucking buy it, and it makes me so mad. Linda leading up to when she met Dyson at the conference that she willingly chose to go to. So this woman, she was born in 1953 in Hollywood, California. She worked for a little while after school as a model, and eventually she began designing clothing and selling it. She moved to New Mexico in part because of her interest in the supernatural aspects surrounding the area, like Roswell, Area 51, things like that, which is okay. Like, like to move there is a little bit much, but do you? (laughs) Linda had been engaged a handful of times. And her own mother said that Linda was very gullible and had issues with men. She said, quote, Linda would believe that the moon was made out of cheese if a boy told her it was. There it is. So in 1999, when she she met Dyson, she was working as a representative for a business that took care of payroll for companies. She was engaged to a man named Stephen and was a member of a UFO group that met on a weekly basis to discuss cattle mutations and other goings-ons in the area. Dyson told her. <laughs> I love this. Okay, it's normal. And it's being yeah, weird is okay. fine. It's, don't that's exactly what I was about don't to say. hurt people. Yeah, it's okay to be quirky and weird, and it's okay to like these things. But like Haley says, don't hurt people. Go be weird. Go believe that there are reptiles on the moon controlling us. And try and eat a piece of moon cheese. But leave everyone else alone. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> People. So Dyson told her that he was an oncologist who had created a cancer cure. She apparently stopped showering at this point. She broke up with Steven pretty quickly. He dodged a bullet there. Yep. She had Dyson and a friend named Bill Miller physically remove Steven from their home altogether. Supposedly, Dyson and Bill got connected through Linda and that UFO club she was in that he had been a member of it. But now, Dyson and Linda got real serious real fast. They were engaged within two weeks of meeting. Oh, that is intense. And she had just been engaged to Steven, like, a second ago. And that's 
that's so messed up too because it's mm-hmm. just that i nope that's at least take a few months <laughs> in my experience we should at least take a few months <laughs> agreed Linda was absolutely smitten with this little man who told her that he was a 10,000-year-old alien doctor and that he could also see the future and the reptile humans were going to destroy the Earth in 2007. Oh, no. What I think that Linda liked the most was that Dyson let her know that she was actually an alien queen who could save the Earth. So he just, like, created this grandiose image of her. Of her, and she got to... Play it's like a it. fulfillment. Uh, she's like, no man's ever told me that I was a queen before. Part I'm of her duties. <laughs> an alien queen. <laughs> Part of her duties to save the earth involved fighting and destroying other alien queens. The evil alien queens. And wouldn't you know it? Dyson knew one of these alien queens. How interesting. She just happened to be his estranged wife, Girlie. Oh my god, of course. So Linda started bringing Dyson with her to the UFO meetings, and Bill would straight up tell people that Dyson had hired him and Linda to kill his wife. Well, thank you for being honest, Bill. I guess none of these people thought to maybe, like, report that to an authority. (laughs) Just let's tell somebody. I just feel really bad for Girlie because, like, she has, like, this fucking group of people being plotted against her. Yeah. And she doesn't even know it, and she's just trying to live her best life in fear. Yeah. And when she knew it, she's also an alien queen. <laughs> she didn't even get to, I don't think she, she knew that. Tell, yeah, why didn't he tell her that? God. God, the audacity. Linda changed where she did her banking to the bank where Gurley worked at. She went in on one occasion and Gurley helped her. And Gurley had no idea that Linda was dating Dyson. She didn't know who this woman was. That gives me just, that gives me shivers down my spine again because that is creepy. That's so creepy. Some of Linda's friends were not happy with her new boyfriend and they hired a PI to look into him. Nice, a supportive friend seeing some red flags. The PA, like all the ones before him, found all the evidence that Dyson was full of shit, but when Linda was presented with all this evidence, she just flatly denied it. It wasn't real, and she wouldn't believe it. No, no. No, thank you. Pretty much. She was like, oh, no thanks, and she closed the folder. <laughs> oh my god. So Gurley disappeared six weeks after Dyson met Linda Henning. This is how fast he, like, they just clicked. He really man- Well, he didn't really need to manipulate her that much. I think she was just waiting to be manipulated. Yeah. Whether it was him or somebody else. So now bringing us back to Gurley is missing. Dyson's neighbors say that he's packed up and moved to Texas, but there's no record or sign that that's true, that he's moved to Texas. Okay. At Gurley's apartment, a team of lab techs came in and determined that the large wet spots on the carpet were blood that someone attempted to clean up. Um, there were also all sorts of weird little hairs on the carpet, which didn't make sense because Gurley didn't have a pet there and she had longer hair. Yeah. So the whole carpet was removed from the apartment for testing. Good. Smart. While trying to locate Dyson, the police looked at the adoption records and saw that he'd listed Linda Henning as his emergency contact. They brought her in and she tells them that she doesn't know where Dyson is. She says that she doesn't know Gurley, she's never met Gurley, and she didn't even know Dyson had a wife. She describes their, rom- their relationship as non-romantic and that she felt towards Dyson the way that somebody would feel towards, quote, a lost child. That's gross. 
When police spoke with Linda's friends, they were like, um, no, she's constantly gushing about how amazing he is, how much she loves him, and how they morph into animal-like creatures when they have sex. You. <laughs> <laughs> you. You. Yeah. No, so. you. They also realized that Linda recently started banking at Girlie's work, and there's the record of Girlie helping her. So they're like, "You're, uh huh, okay, mm hmm, mm hmm, okay, so yeah." You've never met her. None of that's true. Very intently at her over this video <laughs> recording. Like I can just imagine, because like Linda just seems intense from what you've like. Oh yeah. Said so far, so she's just like, "Yes, I have a new bank here," and just staring <laughs> at her like into the depths of her soul. Everybody said that she was like friendly and bubbly and like lovely. Ugh. I'm like that too, but I'm not <laughs> When police went to go back and talk to Linda again, she was really hard to track down. She'd started driving friends' cars places instead of her own, and she was staying in different hotels every night instead of her own home. Kind of like you're hiding from something. A few days after Gurley disappeared, a worker discovered a tarp along a stretch of road in Magdalena, which is south of Albuquerque. It's, like, the waterproof-type tarps that people keep in the garage for a variety of reasons. They can oh, be, yeah. like, brown or blue or, like, there's, like, silver on one side and, like, black on the other, I you know? a big blue one over top of my RV. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of those. And wrapped up with the tarp are clothes with blood all over them. There's blood on the, car- on the tarp, and there are slash-type cuts in the tarp. There's also duct tape with brown hair stuck in it. Oh, so the man grabs all of this up and brings it to the police and is like, I think you guys might want this. Oh, okay. He just... Which, maybe don't maybe don't grab the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> don't, like, you just messed up a whole entire crime scene. Like, he had the best that. intentions. It was yeah. 1999. Maybe he didn't know. Yeah, I just... <sighs> it's not as common knowledge then, I think, as it is now. So the tarp and clothing were tested as well. And the large spots of blood in the apartment belonged to Gurley. Some of the blood splatter belonged to Linda Henning. Gurley's blood was on her clothes as well as the tarp. Um, and I guess DNA was able to be taken from the hairs and the duct tape. And those matched Linda Henning's. How did they get Linda's DNA? I don't know. I, I questioned that too. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> she um, was just... I was like, I don't know if she gave it willingly. Took it out and just put it on the office table. I should have been interrogated. Yeah, I just tried to. <laughs> I tried to look that up, and I don't know if I don't know if they got like a warrant for it. Hmm. I don't. I don't know. But traces of Dyson's DNA was also found on Gurley's clothes. I'm guessing they had his just from all the <laughs> times that he was like splurting blood everywhere, making, <laughs> his, his drawing blood, doing stuff. So this was enough proof to indict both Linda and Dyson for the murder of Gurley Chu, even though Gurley's body hadn't been found. Linda was tracked down, but Dyson's whereabouts were still unknown, and the FBI joined the search to find him. Three women came forward saying that they were getting phone calls from Dyson, threatening to kill them. Oh my god. The women were Dyson's divorce attorney, what? the adoption agent who helped him, and one of his neighbors who had told police that on the night before Gurley was reported missing, she saw Dyson pull up into his driveway quickly, jump out with his arms, legs, and face all painted black, run into his house, run back to his car, and speed off again like a weirdo. He's fucking weird. That's so weird. They were able to trace these calls to Charleston, South Carolina. There they found Dyson with another woman who was his fiance oh as well. Her name was Sherry. Sherry? Um, why? <laughs> he had Gurley Chu's address book and ID in his belongings. 
Okay, good. Um, I mean, it sucks that he has them, but like that's huge evidence. good evidence. His fiance Sherry said that he'd been acting kind of weird. She had only just met him in person two weeks earlier when she flew out to New Mexico to help him move. On the drive back to South Carolina, he kept injecting himself with what he said was morphine because of the cancer, and he would put a white powder under his tongue that he said was medicine, and he also kept puking up blood. (laughs) Like, can you imagine flying out, (laughs) meeting this guy, having him move back to, like, your state with you, and as you're driving, he's just injecting himself and puking up blood. I feel bad for Sherry. She's just freaking driving. She's like, I, I'm with a drug addict now. I yes. imagine that she was relieved when police hauled him away. I think so, too. Oh, thank God. <laughs> this makes me so mad. How many women has he been pen-palling and <laughs> keeping up with? He's like, I've got a fiancé in California and one in North Carolina and one in Virginia and then I've also got one in Ireland and I'm not from Switzerland. (laughs) (laughs) So Dyson refused to talk with police. He asked for a lawyer. But as they were leading him back to his cell, he turned around and told one of the officers that they didn't have enough evidence to hold him. That's interesting. They were a little nervous because there had never been a trial conviction in the state of New Mexico for murder without also having the body. Oh, yeah. But they did have enough evidence to hold him and try him and Linda anyway. In Linda's attic, police found a samurai sword because it it has to be as weird as possible. Oh, yeah. A samurai sword. So it had been purchased on September 9th, which I'm sure that they just looked back through her purchase records. But I like to imagine that she just had the receipt with the samurai sword. It was just like, you can put it in the bag. Like <laughs> When they're like, do you want it? If you were in the bag, like in the bag's fine. Some of Dyson's blood was on the handle of the sword because they didn't clean it well enough, apparently. They used all of the bleach in the apartment. Yeah. Then there were all those hairs on Gurley's carpet. A bunch of them were cat hairs. Did Linda have cats? Linda had six cats because (laughs) when she commits to something, she commits to something. Agreed. (laughs) Bill had two cats. There were deer hairs, rabbit hairs, dog hairs, and feathers. Some were natural and some were dyed deer hair and dyed, like, feathers. Did Linda hunt? Like, they were pink feathers. Bill did. Oh. They were able to find matching hairs in Linda's home and Bill's home, even the dyed ones, because Bill had been making, like, fishing lures with dyed feathers. Oh. That were, like, I think the color was pink. That makes sense. How many people have just pink feathers? Yeah. There was also glitter and craft sand on the carpet. Which matched, like, Linda's crafting supplies. Did she just, like, have, like, a little jar Dude. of glitter? And she's like, nobody will smell the bleach now because I put the They will be so it. distracted by how beautiful the glitter looks, they won't notice those giant blood stains over there. I imagine these people went in covered in hairs and, like, feathers and glitter with crafting sand just ready to, like, commit a murder. Did he, like, like how do you go in? Before they Did they not have... This? Yeah, like, did they not have lint rollers? I, apparently not, I guess. Because wouldn't know. you, I'm not ever going to commit a murder, but wouldn't you think, like, I have a shit ton of cats, maybe I should lint roll all this cat hair off me before oh, yeah. I go attack I, someone. I'm not going to commit a murder, but, like... So Linda had also bought a tarp in the days leading up to Girlie's disappearance. A samurai and a tarp. A samurai sword and a tarp. 
Uh, no one questioned that. I'm, gu- I'm guessing that if she bought it at different places, like she went right. to like Home Depot for the tarp and the samurai sword place for the right. samurai sword. <laughs> Dyson decided to talk instead of going to trial and facing the death penalty. Of course he's deciding to talk. Um, because he doesn't, he doesn't want to get put to death. No, he wants to everybody for this he cut a deal where he would tell investigators what happened to girly chu and he would serve a life sentence in the state of wyoming for some reason wyoming. i'm guessing he had more pen pals there <laughs> I, I literally don't know why wyoming in january of 2002 he was sentenced to life plus 61 years linda decided that she was gonna roll her dice and take a chance with a trial she was the first woman in new mexico to be facing the death penalty if convicted her trial began in September of 2002, and Linda's lawyers called a single witness to testify in her defense. Who was that? Dyson Hassenkopf. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> um, his testimony was memorable. I bet. Firstly, he testified that Linda wasn't involved at all. He said that Bill Miller was the one who killed Gurley, and that he had done the cleanup afterwards, that Dyson had done the cleanup. That wouldn't explain any of the cat hair. He, well, Bill had two cats. Okay, Bill. I don't think Bill had glitter and crafting sand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He said that he'd had to keep Linda busy running random errands all evening while he went back and forth to Gurley's apartment trying to clean up. He said that to confuse investigators, he took a vial of Linda's blood and spread it around the apartment, which is why her blood was in the apartment, he says, which I think that her blood was in the apartment because she was there. The biggest discrepancy was that he said that Gurley had been taken from her apartment around 5.15 by Bill, but we know that's not true because she yeah, made the phone seven. call at 7.03. The prosecution presented evidence supporting that Linda had gone to Gurley's apartment that night. Dyson knew that Gurley wouldn't have opened the door for him, and this was the night that he was painted all black. Linda somehow convinced Gurley to let her in and then proceeded to attack her. There's evidence that Gurley fought back hard. Good for Gurley. Police even believe that Gurley was overpowering Linda when a second person stepped in, most likely Bill. And that's, yeah, she was so smart to want to learn how to fight in self-defense in order to fight two people. It's sad that she almost saw it coming. Oh, she, I think she knew it was coming. They believe that Gurley was driven out into the desert where Dyson most likely tortured her and killed her with the help of Linda and Bill. Dyson made comments that Gurley knew he was coming for her and that she knew she was being hunted like the dog she was, which was his quote. He said that he wanted her to feel like a rabbit in an open field. And he said, quote, society views murder as the most heinous crime known to mankind. Like when you decide you're going to commit murder, you decide you're going to trade life for theirs. I did that. He just wants to be seen as this tough badass guy and he's saying all of this with like a nasally little voice okay so honestly what i'm imagining is a super okay so i think this is weird but like i'm attracted to danny devito <laughs> i'm imagining like a danny devito-esque and that's how i imagine this guy looking like so linda was found guilty of first degree murder sorry i just you make comments and i'm like listening to them and yeah, i'm just yeah, like i'm excited get- too we're gonna keep <laughs> we moving because we're gonna get to it mm-hmm. i don't want you to think i'm like ignoring you no Okay. <laughs> Linda was found guilty of first-degree murder, kidnapping, cons- conspiracy to commit kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and four counts of perjury. Linda wasn't given the death penalty, but was sentenced to 73 years in prison. And she okay. was 49 at this point, so it was it was life. life. She was 49? 
Yeah, she was a little bit older she than them. She like, so much more young because of her naivety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she said that she wasn't surprised by her verdict. She said she wouldn't have been surprised if they said, burn her at the stake. I hate her. <laughs> she... She says that she would have said it wouldn't be the first time because she believes in a past life that she was burned at the stake. Okay, honey. Which I also, like, sure you were, Linda. (laughs) It's interesting that people always think that they've had these really dramatic, intense past lives. So Bill Miller said that Dyson tried to pay him to kill Gurley. Bill was charged with five counts of tampering with evidence, and he got one year probation. One year probation? Dude probably helped kidnap and murder a woman, but sure, probation no. for a year for evidence tampering. Time. Bill Miller had gone elk hunting by himself over the time that Gurley disappeared, and he had a hunting cabin in Magdalena near where the tarp and Gurley's bloody clothes were found. So her body is probably like on his property somewhere. Maybe. On September 9th, the last day that Gurley was seen alive, he got a safety deposit box under a fake name and an address in Colorado. And when police opened it, there was $10,000 inside wrapped in tinfoil. Weird. And some, like, expensive coins. Seems like, for how little Dyson and Linda told investigators, they seem to tell their cellmates a lot more. Oh, yeah, because these people are talkers. So Dyson supposedly told his cellmate that he had committed the perfect crime and that he was going to kill everyone who didn't have negative type blood by poisoning the drinking water. It's not a perfect crime if you get caught. Dude, you're in jail (laughs) for the crime. Oh my gosh. They said that they were going to put Gurley's body in concrete. According to Linda's cellmate and a few other inmates, Linda said in reference to Gurley that, quote, the bitch got what she deserved. And that she had, um, eaten Gurley's body. Fuck you, Linda. Other times they've claimed that they dissolved Gurley's body in acid. I think that's probable because of how many times he, he said that. So interested <laughs> in it. Yeah. How many times he straight up was like, if I kill someone, I'm going to dissolve them in acid. Ugh. Um, Linda was given a, has given a handful of interviews since, and she's just as ridiculous as she's always been, which to me again supports that this is just who she is. She's always rambling and alluding to some conspiracy against her. She says she's only alive because she's kept her mouth shut and not said what they don't want her to say. And she won't say it, but everyone is in for a big surprise and that the empire consumes all. The strong survive and the weak perish and that she's innocent. <laughs> she, it's insane to watch her talk. Uh. So her perjury convictions were overturned in 2010, um, but her other convictions stand. In January of 2020, Dyson and his lawyers submitted a request totaling over 400 plus pages asking for his life sentence to be vacated. And his lawyer asked for a six month extension to research more because of how complicated the case is and saying something about global connections. There's been no update since. Dyson and Linda also reportedly made comments to cellmates that Gurley's body was left not far from where the tarp and clothes were found. A search was organized of over 100 miles around the tarp and clothes where they'd been. Gurley has still never been found. Oh, that sucks. I think that he's... I don't think that they ate her. I don't believe that Dyson wasn't there. I think that he's this evil little bug of a man who wants to feel big and scary. I think that he wants to play this part of an evil genius, which he's not. 
I think that Linda loved that she felt special, that she got to be an alien queen with a mission, and she's continued being just as deranged in jail. Um, I think Dyson just gave her the chance to be who she was. Bill Miller got away with assisting in a murder that he knew was going to take place. He deserved, like, ten years plus, dude, because he... I mean, it's not like Linda could carry the body. It would be Bill and Dyson. Mm-hmm. If she was already being overpound, overpowered by Gurley, it's, it just seems obvious. And just, he knew this dude had, he admitted that this dude had tried to get him to kill his wife before. Yeah. And offered to pay him money. And he had a large sum of money. I wonder if he had like some inside connections or something. I don't know. But in the midst of all of the crazy story, Gurley's lost physically and just spiritually from the story yeah the amount of courage this woman had in every choice that she made to leave her home country to raise a child that wasn't hers to confront her husband about his cheating to tell people that she was being abused to go into the office and look through his office to leave her garbage husband to sign up for self-defense classes to refuse to flee this life that she had been building for herself And to make sure that she had people who were looking out for her. She was phenomenal. To fight back against Linda. Like, she was so strong. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for her. The case is crazy, and there's parts of it that it's so easy to laugh at, because he's so ridiculous. But just at the base of it, Gurley's just gone. And her family didn't get the proper burial that they deserved for her. And I feel bad. I just feel bad, but, like, especially for her family, because they're in Malaysia, and, like, Mm -hmm. they didn't, how, did they even know any of this was going on for the most part? So, they knew that she was missing. Her brother flew in for the trial, but I guess in Malaysia, like, it wasn't reported about the convictions. Okay. When her parents were contacted, they said that, you know, they've accepted that their daughter's not coming home. They're just glad that the people responsible are in prison. Yep. But I just, I hope one day they are able to find her and bring her home. Agreed. So that was the case of Girly Chew. I purposefully tried very hard not to refer to her as Girly Chew Hassenkoft because that's technically her legal name, but I'm not putting her yeah. murderer's name on her. It's Girly Chew for us. So, yeah the end you can follow us on instagram at dead endings podcast you can like our facebook page dead endings podcast or you can send us an email at dead endings podcast at gmail.com all of the links to which you can find on our website deadendings.com. endings